All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this great privilege of studying your word um, and uh, looking at these Old Testament feasts. Uh, we pray that you would bless us uh, with insight and uh, an open heart to see uh, Christ in the gospel and in, in the Old Testament. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so okay, um, so we're 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 on a three-part series. We're looking at the Old Testament feasts, and uh, the first question I want to sort of take a step back and ask: Why are we even studying these Old Testament feasts in the first place? Um, and they seem sort of irrelevant to us. I remember, uh, even now, I kind of feel like this um, when you sort of read the Old Te- when you read the feasts in the Old Testament. As you read it, you sort of think. Like, your eyes glaze. Wait a minute, I'm having some trouble here. <laughs> Pull it out. Yeah, oh, really tiny. Small amount. You sort of, your eyes sort of glaze over at the details, right? And you think that it's completely irrelevant to you. Um, and aren't they part of the ceremonial laws? And uh, my answer uh, to that is threefold. Number one, um, we have to remember, whenever we read the Old Testament, that the people of Israel are not like them, and we're the church, and there's some sort of vast distance between us. Rather, we have to remember that we are Israel, right? And so this is our story. These are our feasts. And this tells us something about who we are, right? And tells us something about who God is. And the other thing is that um, if you read the New Testament, these three feasts play uh, a fairly major role as the backdrop to the story. Now, it could have been right, that the New Testament writers sort of ignored the feast entirely, and, and, but they don't do that. They specifically cite these feasts. They mention these feasts. And the only reason why they do that is because they're trying to alert us that these feasts tell us something important about what's going on so that uh, you can't fully understand what's going on in the New Testament until you know what's going on in these Old Testament feasts. Does that make sense? And then finally, um, these feasts tell us something ultimately about the gospel. Right? These feasts ultimately tell us about who Jesus is. And anything that tells us about Jesus, we want to read, we want to know more deeply. Right? Okay? So, let's read about uh, uh, these three feasts. And so I kind of have this Exodus passage, which sort of is a summary verse, I think, for, all, for, for what we're doing here in this, in this study. Let's read. Um, can I have Eugene read Exodus 23? Three times in the year you shall keep... To me, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for it, in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall your males appear before the Lord God. All right. So what do we learn here about these uh, three feasts, right? It mentions all three feasts. It says three times, uh, these are the major feasts, three times you're supposed to, to celebrate these feasts. And if you look at all the way at the verse, end of verse 17, it says three times uh, you shall appear before the Lord God, right? So I wrote that down here, before the Lord God. Why, why that expression? What is that trying to tell us? What is, what is it, what does this mean, before the Lord God? Does anyone remember? We sort of talked about this with um, Eric, Eric Sunday School. Before the Lord God. Is that just sort of like a pious expression? You do it before God. He's watching. Anyone? No? Okay, so remember that 
This, these feasts were not supposed to be celebrated at home. It's not a private feast. It's not something that you just do, kind of like the way we have Thanksgiving today in, in the nation, right? You just sort of you celebrate at home. You're supposed to do it where? Specifically in one location. Anyone remember from last week? In the temple? At the temple, right. In, in what's, what's the city? Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem. Okay, at the temple, right? Which is where the presence of God is. And so, what does that mean? It means that people had to travel. So three times a year, everyone had to pack their belongings, and that's why they're called pilgrim feasts. And so if you lived really far away, like uh, Galilee, it would take you the entire day to, to walk down to Jerusalem. And so these were pilgrim feasts, okay? So that's the first thing we learned. Um, and then the second thing we learned here, if you look again at verse 17, it says, all your males. So the, the law was that um, everyone who was an adult male had to show up. Uh, and we know from reading other parts of the Bible that, in fact, a lot of times women and children came along as well. But the base requirement was all the men were to show up. And what that tells us, and this is a word that we looked at last week, is that it was a convocation. Does anyone know? Well, let me just define it for you. Convocation means assembly or gathering. Right? And so basically, this was the only time, these three feasts were the only time in the year that all Israel were, was gathered together at the temple in Jerusalem as basically a corporate worship service, right? It's basically a corporate worship service um, to offer sacrifices and praise God um, and this carries forward into the New Testament, right? In the New Testament, we also gather together. What is that called when we gather together? Anyone know? Church. The church, that's right. Okay? We also have corporate worship in the church. What, does anyone know the Greek word for church? The original? Ecclesia? Yeah, ecclesia, right? Right? Uh, what's the Spanish word for church? Anyone know? Iglesia. Iglesia. So that's where it comes from, right? Ecclesia. Does anyone know the meaning of ecclesia in Greek? Other than church. Convocation. Yeah. It, it's basically the Greek word for convocation. It's basically the Greek word for convocation. It means assembly. It means gathering of the people. Okay. So guess what? Every Sunday morning when we worship together, we're in a sense reenacting, or maybe better to say we're fulfilling what the people of God in the Old Testament were doing in these three feasts. Does that make sense? We're gathering together, we're worshiping God. Alright? So that's the paradigm. That's, that's, that's what we're looking at. And um, I, I show you the Jewish calendar here, and, and, and Eric did a fantastic job last week. Um, so basically, the calendar starts out with the month of Abib, um, with Passover, right? 
Passover slash uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then today we're going to look at uh, the Feast of Weeks. And then next week we're going to look at the Feast of Boots. So I'm not going to talk about that today. I'll leave that for, for Sean. Weeks, okay? So that's the paradigm. Let me, because uh, we're going to refer to this calendar. It's important a bit later, okay? Okay. So, um, any questions on that? So why we're studying the three major feasts, what value and they tell us something about who we are. Okay, let's, let's, let's go to question number two. So what is the Feast of Weeks? All right, let's, uh, let's read the passage. Um, I'm going to just have you guys read like a little bit, and then I'm going to pause and explain what's going on. So Arnold, can you read just verse 15 and 16 of Leviticus 23? Okay. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath of Passover. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Okay, so here's what's happening, okay? The way uh, you're supposed to know when to celebrate the Feast of Weeks is that after Passover, seven weeks pass. Right? Seven weeks pass. And what's seven weeks? How many days is seven weeks? Someone do some quick math. 49, 49 right? But the way uh, Jewish people would count days, you would count inclusively, right? So we would, we would count starting from the next day, but they would count inclusively. So if you count inclusively, how many days is it? 50, right? 50 days. Okay? And so the distance between Passover and the Feast of Weeks was, was 7 weeks or 50 days. And that's why we have the name Feast of Weeks. Because seven is sort of the number of, of fullness or perfection, as they would call it, the Feast of Weeks. Because, you know, little children would say, Mom, Dad, when's the Feast of Weeks? We're on week one, you know, six more weeks. Okay, uh, so that's the first thing. Um, what's the second thing we learned? Can I have, who, who's next? Uh, Eric, can I have you read um, the, the starting from the middle of verse 16 to the end of verse 17? Then you. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be weighed, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Okay. So, what was actually being celebrated in the Feast of Weeks? It was a celebration of the wheat harvest. Okay? And so, if you look at the text, it says, Then you shall present. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me go back to verse 15, right? It says, on the day you brought the sheaf of, of wave offering. Does anyone know what a sheaf is? It's kind of like a weird word. We don't really use it since we're not agricultural society anymore. Does anyone know what a sheaf is? It's a bundle of wheat. There you go, right? It's a bundle. I, I, I kind of had to look it up on the internet to kind of see. What a sheaf is like, it's like this, and then there's like a little string, and then, you know, there's like a little... I don't know how wheat exactly looks, but... Kind of like that. You know what I mean? So what you do is this, right? So here's Passover, here's the Feast of Weeks, and you bring your little sheaf, right? And it's, so you, you, you pick up a little bit, a few of the crops, and it's still not perfectly ripe. And you bundle it, and you bring it to Jerusalem, and then you wave it before the Lord. And it's, almost, it's, it's a kind of promise that God is going to bring in the harvest, that God's going to provide for you. And I think it's really hard for us, being in a very modern culture, where we don't really suffer famine. But in the ancient world, 
you lived and died literally by the harvest. So that, I mean, it's hard for us to imagine, but every year, you don't know if you're going to die or live. It depends if you get the harvest, right? And so if, you, if there's famine, if there's, if there's like a locust, little grasshoppers eat up all the food, you die. And if you bring in the harvest, you live. So it's a really dramatic moment, you know what I mean? And so this was a, an incredible party because as soon as, so what happens is this is the harvest time, right? These seven weeks, right? You, you go out there, you bring in all the, the, the ripe food, the ripe grain, and then it's just like this incredible moment of celebration. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, it says right here, bring two loaves of bread, right? So you have this new grain and you cook up two loaves of bread and it's these two like juicy loaves, the very first loaves that you, that you make from this new grain, from this harvest. And you bring it to Jerusalem and you wave it before the Lord. And what are you saying? You're saying, thank you, God, for this. It's, it's a way of saying, God, you gave me this, you know? Maybe the modern equivalent, I'm trying to think of it, it's kind of cheesy. But let's say, like, you graduate from college, you, like, hustle, look for a job, look for a job, and finally you get a job. And then your very first paycheck, you know, it's like you just show it to God and say, you know, thank you for this. You know, you provided me, this is your provision. And so another word for uh, the Feast of Weeks is? Feast of Harvest. Right? And then another name for the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Harvest is the Feast of First Fruits. Right? So the two loaves of bread is the first fruits. It's the first sort of product. The first, um, the first thing that comes from the harvest. You don't eat it uh, just for yourself selfishly at home. You bring it to Jerusalem before the Lord and you say thank you. Okay. Um, any questions on that? Yeah. So in verse 15, when it talks about the, the sheep of the wave offering, that's done at the beginning. Yeah. Like right after the Passover? <clears throat> exactly. Okay. It's, dur- it's during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Yeah. That's my understanding. Um, all right. Let's uh, read on. Verse 18. Okay. That's a, it's a long text. Can I have Sean read that relatively quickly? Which one? I'm sorry, from verse 18 all the way down to verse 21. Okay. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasant, pleasing aroma to the Lord. You shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs, a year old, as a sacrifice for peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. Okay, stop there. Thank you. So what do we learn here? In addition to it being a fantastic meal, you got to imagine, by the way, right? There's all this meat and all this food and wine. This is going to be like one of the greatest parties you're going to ever have for that year. You know, so there's a, a moment of great excitement. But you're also supposed to bring all of these offerings because it was a worship service, right? You're supposed to offer sacrifices for your sins. Um, And that's why it's called a holy convocation. You're gathering together. It's a corporate worship. You're not supposed to do any work that day. So it it very much mimics, or maybe we should say our Sunday service mimics these feasts, right? Because we don't do work. We gather together. we, We worship. 
hey, we also eat together. <laughs> um, and then, okay, so, and then that's the, so that's the third thing. The fourth thing we learned, uh, can I have Jeff read verse 22? 22? Yes. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. All right, so this is, let's say that you're farmer Bob. Well, I mean, you're, you're Jewish or you're farmer, you know, Tovid. And, um, and so here's, your, here's your, your field, right? You're only supposed to harvest this part. You're supposed to leave the edge unharvested. Does anyone know why? We talked about this actually in a previous Sunday school. I won't say which one since that kind of gives it away. <laughs> do, you, do you guys remember? Like, do you remember? So that uh, poor people could come and harvest. And That's right. Poor people who don't have land, um, they ha- this is for them. I think it's really great because the Bible doesn't say harvest it all and then give that portion to the poor. No, 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 no. Let them harvest it. Meaning, give them a job, basically. Let them earn it on their own. You know? It's hard work. You go out there in the hot blazing sun and you harvest your food. You know? So you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to uh, take it all. You're not supposed to also leave the gleaning, which I think is basically kind of like the leftover. You're not supposed to like, pick it bone dry. You're supposed to leave it so that the poor can go and pick it up. And so what that tells us, right, is that actually there's a strong social justice component to the harvest, fe- uh, to the um, uh, feast of harvest, feast of weeks, right? That um, you're supposed to care for the poor and the sojourner. And that leads me to my next point, which is, <coughs> uh, that leads me to the next discussion, which is that, there, that social justice is a major component of the feast of weeks. Oh, Judah. Oh. <laughs> Maybe you could take him walking outside a little bit. Thank you. Um, all right. So let's read Deuteronomy 16. So can I have Tony read that for us? Okay. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count seven weeks from the time the sickle was first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are, who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful of the statutes. All right, so this is how the Feast of Weeks works, okay? This is a celebration for God's provision. This is a moment when, when, in a sense, your net worth has just increased manifold because you've, you have all this food. The Feast of Weeks was not supposed to be something where, like, everyone brings their own food, and then you're like, mm, good, tasty food, and if you're poor, you're like, oh, I don't have anything, right? You're supposed to share it, right? Because the people of God uh, are supposed to share, because God is a God for the poor. He loves the poor. He identifies with the poor. And so you're supposed to share it with them. And there are four classes of people that are actually identified specifically as who you're supposed to remember on the Feast of Weeks. And I wrote them down because I think it's helpful to us to just look at them. What does it mean, sojourner? That's kind of an oldish word. What does sojourner mean here? What's the modern equivalent? We talked about this before. 
Immigrant. Yes. So a sojourner is basically an immigrant. Right? A foreigner who lives in your land. Foreigners not going to have land. Foreigners going to be kind of ostracized on the outside. They're going to be poor. Who's the fatherless? Uh, that's kind of a weird word too. What's the modern equivalent we would say for fatherless? Orphan. Orphan. There we go. What does it matter if you're an orphan? Well, if you're an orphan, you don't have a dad. If you don't have a dad, you don't have someone bringing home a paycheck. You're poor. Uh, what about widows? Well, we still use that word widow. Um, again, this is a male-dominated society. If you're a single woman by yourself out there, you're, you're poor. There's no way you're going to make money. right? Um, and then finally, Levites. Now, the Levites actually weren't poor. But why are we remembering the Levites? Who are the Levites? Does anyone remember? Priests. Priests, yeah. Levites were a tribe of Israel from the son of, uh, from, uh, coming from <coughs> Levi, the fourth son of, of Jacob, right? And the Levites were the priests of the land, the ministers of the land. And God said, uh, you're not, the Levites don't have land. They don't have farms. Because their job is to minister to the people. Essentially, they're pastors. Right? Levites would live in these towns and villages. And so they wouldn't be concerned with harvesting the wheat. They're concerned with preaching the word and teaching the word and ministering to the people. And so because they don't have land, the, 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 the people of God are supposed to remember the Levites as well, basically, ministers. Does that make sense? And we actually, every Sunday worship, we kind of do this, do we not? When we, do our, when we bring our tithes and offerings, who is that for? It's, it has a strong social justice component, right? We're remembering the poor. Actually, this Sunday we're going to talk, um, after our worship service, we're going to meet as a mercy ministry team, we're going to talk about this one lady who's very poor, and we're going to try to help her out, right? And then we're also supporting the Levites, which would be Sean and myself, right? We're, we're the ministers of the word. Um, all right, so, uh, oh, and what's really interesting, I think, is verse 12, right? God doesn't say, oh yeah, remember the poor, just because, you know, the poor is good. He grounds it in the gospel. He says, remember that you were poor. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, but I rescued you. And so when you yourself remember others who are downtrodden and lowly, you're reenacting the gospel. You're showing mercy to those uh, who are lowly because you are shown mercy by God. Um, Any questions about what the Feast of Weeks is? So that's the Feast of Weeks. Any comments or thoughts? All right. That's not where it ends. Because if that's where it ends, then, then we've completely missed the boat. Here's the point. Where does it connect to the New Testament? And if you look at the New Testament, um, here's a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the known world. It's called, does anyone know? The special word for it? It's a Greek word. It starts with a D. Diaspora, right? They were scattered, right? Because of uh, persecution, because of uh, invasions and conquerings. The the Jewish people were scattered everywhere. And this was the Greek world. So a lot of Jewish people didn't know Jewish, I mean Hebrew, they spoke Greek. And so they didn't call it the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. They had their own uh, Greek word for it. And the Greek word for it is Pentecost. Right? This, ah, some of you are saying, this is where the connection happens. Pentecost in Greek means 50 days. They would call it Pentecost because it was 50 days after Passover. And this is where like, light should be turning on for you. 
because Pentecost is a major event in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, right? This is when uh, Jesus tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come, right? And then the Spirit comes on them, and they have this amazing, right, flames of tongue, wind comes through, and then, and then they're able to speak these multiple languages, right? And Peter <coughs> preaches in Jerusalem, and, and, and then, and then uh, uh, thousands of people believe. And what's really interesting, and I want to just point out, a, the just, we don't have time to read the whole verse, but let me just read verse 1 of what Luke says, right? Luke writes in verse 1, chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. Now, let me write that down, okay? Because um, it's very important. Okay? When the day of Pentecost arrived. Okay? Now, uh, that's our translation, and that's a good translation. But let me tell you, um, the, the literal Greek word there is plerao. Uh, how, how, how did I do the transliteration? Uh, let me see. Oh, simple rao. That's what I thought about. Um, it's simple rao. Okay? And it literally means to be filled up. Right? So kind of the way you would use the word is um, uh, a jar being filled up with water to the brim. And so that's what uh, Luke says, that the day of Pentecost, simple rao, had been filled up. Now, that could mean it had finally arrived, right? The time had finally come. But almost all the commentators, if you look at, uh, this, uh, if you look at what scholars are looking at, they say, yeah, but there's so many other ways, simpler ways to say the day of Pentecost had arrived. Yet, you, yet Luke uses this very particular metaphor, this very particular word to describe that, and he's talking, there's a deeper meaning, right? And the deeper meaning is, he says, the day of Pentecost had not just simply arrived, but it had been fulfilled. Okay? Now that is an interesting phrase. The day of Pentecost had been fulfilled. What does that mean? Luke is giving us some really deep theology. And this is very a particular way the New Testament writers look at the Old Testament. And this sort of shows us how we're supposed to look at the Old Testament. Which is that the Feast of Weeks wasn't just a feast to be celebrated as a kind of memorial, thanking God for you know, the wheat harvest, but it was a promise. Does that make sense? Implicit in the Feast of Weeks was a promise. And that promise remained unfulfilled throughout the generations and centuries of the Old Testament until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the promise was fulfilled, right? That the full meaning of the Feast of Weeks was finally realized in the New Testament at Pentecost. What is Luke talking about, right? This, now we're in some deep waters, okay? So, you know, pull out your swim trunks, okay? We're going we're gonna to go swimming, right? This is really deep. What is, what is, what is uh, Luke talking about? What is, what, is, um, what is the meaning, right? This idea that the Feast of Weeks is a signpost of some future fulfillment. And I think the answer is in uh, number five here, that Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God ultimately as a harvest. So here's a little bit of, of New Testament interpretive paradigm, right? The land of Israel, right? This is the Mediterranean Sea. Um, what is, 
Yeah, so this is why. Well, there's no land here. So this is Israel, right? Okay? This land, and here's the Jordan River. Remember, this land is not just about land. It's a picture of salvation. Right? And the harvest of the land, right? The crops and the wheat of the land is a picture of uh, the people, of God's people being saved. Okay? So the harvest is a picture of, of the people. And how do, where do we come up with this interpretation? Uh, we came up with it from the master interpreter himself, Jesus Christ. Right? So Jesus often spoke of the people he was reaching and bringing in to himself as a harvest. That's an interesting metaphor. And, Je- and, and Jesus is not just saying, oh, it's kind of like, yeah, a harvest. It's kind of like a farmer when he gathers the wheat. Yeah, that's what it is. No. He's saying something very direct about what's going on in the Old Testament. So let's read, um, for example, Matthew 9. Um, We don't have time to read it all, so let me just read uh, verse 37. Right? Uh, And then he said to his disciples, right? So he's looking at all the people. You know, and they're afflicted, they're hungry, you know, they're lost. And he says, this is what he says to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What is the harvest? Was it wheat all along? No, that it was a picture of the people of God being brought to himself. Right? John chapter 4. Do you not say there are, are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who weeps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus is saying, don't you realize that all along, all those years, as you were harvesting the wheat, it was a promise, a picture of, of what God would do one day in bringing in his people, right? And so that's the answer. That's the fulfillment so, verse, so point number six, right? Pentecost was the first fruits of the great harvest that God is bringing into his kingdom, right? And so this is where the calendar is really helpful to us, okay? Remember, the calendar starts with Passover, which is what? What happened on Passover that Eric reviewed uh, last week? Who, who is here? Well, I'll just ask Eric then. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. Christ died on the cross, right? Which is really fitting. Because what was Passover? Passover was the lamb slain to save the people from, from the angel of death, from judgment. Christ dies, right? Wow, you're saying, wow, that's really symbolic. Hmm. Okay, the symbolism continues, okay? Remember that Passover was a feast, right? So that all of God's people gathered in Jerusalem. So remember the city swelled from 50,000 to a million. And that's where you have the mob, right? And that's why the the Roman authorities were on alert, because they were scared of political insurrection. And then, after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, everyone went home. And then remember, for 50 days, right, 40 days, Jesus showed himself to his disciples, and then he said, wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come. And then the Feast of Weeks come. And again, the city swells. So there's a huge crowd. And then on the Feast of Weeks, you have Pentecost. So that the Spirit comes down. Peter, through the power of the Spirit, preaches the gospel for the first time in Jerusalem. And by the way, this would be a huge, massive crowd, right? And remember, the gift of the Spirit 
was that they were able to speak all kinds of different languages, right? And, and I put it there in the, in the Acts 2 passage, right? There were Jews, and not just Jews, but converts, God-fearers, from all over the Roman Empire, from every corner of the earth, gathered, and then they heard Peter <laughs> preaching. And after Peter preaches, it says right there in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, I have it there in the second passage. They say, so those who received this word were baptized, and there was added that day 3,000 souls. It was this huge explosion of the church. Because until this time, the people of God were, was this tiny little circle of disciples. And then on Pentecost, the church explodes, and 3,000 people, and not just 3,000 just Jews living in Jerusalem, it's 3,000 you know, Persians and Romans and Greeks and Egyptians and Libyans gathered into God's kingdom. And remember, and I put the, an Isaiah passage there, but we don't have time to talk about it. But the Isaiah passage talks about how that one day God would bring in all his people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, um, speaking all kinds of languages, from all kinds of cultures. They would come streaming into Jerusalem. And, and you kind of read that if you're an Old Testament person, you're saying, how the heck is that ever going to happen? That happened at Pentecost. Right? And when I think about that, it just, like, I feel shivers in my spine, you know, because it's just so amazing that, um, that it was finally fulfilled to great hope and expectation and longing that God would call His people to Him began at Pentecost. And it was the first fruits, right? It was kind of like the vanguard. It was the, the, those 3,000 people was the seed, the, the beginnings of what eventually would be the church worldwide. Right? That the gospel would go to China and India and Africa and North America. Right? That all peoples would come to him. And so this is the great harvest. And so the Feast of Weeks was fulfilled at Pentecost and it's still being fulfilled today as, as we're bringing in through evangelism, through... through um, through just being the church in the world. Um, any questions about that? So my thesis is that Pentecost is the true and ultimate harvest, to which the Feast of Harvest was a foreshadowing, to which it was a, um, um, a preview, a picture, a signpost. And Pentecost is the reality. Does that make sense? And when you understand that, it's a very particular way you read the Old Testament, right? You read the Old Testament not as these obsolete, boring, irrelevant, uh, weird festivals and feasts. You read them as pictures of, of what's going on right now, today, the gospel, Christ, salvation. So if you look at point number seven, right? That's the major thesis of this whole series, is that each feast is fulfilled in the New Testament. So we, lo we saw Eric uh, talk about Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is fulfilled in the Last Supper, right? Jesus says, this is me. I'm the Passover lamb. And in the Feast of Weeks is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And then next week, Sean's going to talk about the Feast of Booths being fulfilled, um, and I'm not going to give it away, but it's in John chapter 7. It's a, it, it's a major role. And Jesus says... I'm, I'm the real thing. Um, any questions or any comments or any thoughts about what's going on? And so, um, I think what's really interesting is that the Feast of Weeks, it says it shall be uh, observed forever. 
But we know that it's a ceremonial law. So we don't observe the Feast of Weeks. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've never been to Jerusalem, right? So we don't go to Jerusalem. We don't like wave our two loaves of bread, Panera bread or something. We don't do that because we're doing the real thing every Sunday. Every Sunday morning, we're, we're in a convocation. Every Sunday morning, we're in ecclesia. We're before the Lord. We, we're, we're gathering tithes and offerings for the poor and for God's ministers. And so we're reenacting the Feast of Weeks every Sunday through the preaching of the Word as people become believers, you know, and as people celebrate God's uh, bounty and thankfulness, and as people um, um, worship together. Sean, did you have a question or comment? Yeah, the bundling and the bread, kind of, there's pictures of that in the disciples huddling after the crucifixion. They're gathered, waiting, basically to be killed by Romans. And then Jesus ascends 40 days after Passover yeah. and says, you're going to wait. They yeah. wait 10 days, kind of bundled together, waiting. Yeah, they're waiting, right? And kind of like ripening. Happens. And then it says they were always breaking bread together. They were always... Oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's a great connection, yeah. It's really interesting because every time we gather together, uh, uh, this is what we think happened in the New Testament. They basically practice the Lord's Supper every time they gather, every Sunday. We do it once a month, but every time we break bread, it's, it's, it's just so much rich meaning, right? It's not just, oh, this represents Jesus' broken body, but this is also the harvest, you know? This is the fruit. Well, that's a great connection. I didn't even think of that. So we should always be eating when we're talking about Christ. So it's not just up in our heads. It's something we're chewing on. It's something we're doing in a community. Exactly. It's never just an idea. Exactly, it's exactly. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's a wonderful <laughs> paradigm that... Um, the harvest was never just about the harvest all along, but it was always about people. It's, it's amazing. You know? Any other comments or thoughts or observations? Well, that makes sense of the communal stuff where it says they had everything in common. Yeah. It's kind of like the gleanings. Like there, it says there was no poor among them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's basically that same shared. They're like, well, communism was invented in Acts 2. It's like, well, that came all the way back from back. Absolutely. When the church gathers together as one people, uh, there's not supposed to be poor people among us because we care for our poor. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this amazing picture of the Feast of Weeks and what it tells us about the gospel and the church. Uh, we feel incredibly privileged that we live in the age of fulfillment. And uh, we pray that... Um, it would just fill our hearts with gratitude. Uh, we would remember that our paychecks are from you. We would remember that uh, our worship service is really a, a, a celebration of who you are and what you're doing in this world. We pray that you will be glorified in all that we do. We pray all this in Christ's name.